What's up, Dune fans? Welcome back to the Do Not Enter podcast, where today, what separates life and death is smaller than a grain of spice. I'm your host, Humphrey Shu, and joining me are our friends and co-hosts, Fillmore John. What's up, guys? And Nolan Zhang. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back, everyone. And today, we will be covering chapter 45 of Dune. So we're inching ever closer to the end of this book and i think i bring that up every single episode but uh hey you know it's been quite the while so i mean i'm i'm super excited for that so uh, otherwise anything yeah this is also episode 60 oh yeah so i mean the the tens you know six times ten so that's a a lot of episodes but i mean yeah so anything interesting going on with y'all that you'd like to share with us maybe Oh, I've been looking for jobs recently, and I've been like trying out this place, and I'm like currently going in for like on-site training and just like working with like the staff there. It's like a it's like a beginner like coding tutor job, and just a bunch of little kids. And today I learned that they some of them couldn't even type like well, and I'm just like kind of disappointed because I don't know how I'm supposed to like teach kids that can't type fast enough. <laughs> wow, are you being so, like, are you being speedist, Nolan? <laughs> well no but like i kind of expected like i thought like if they could play roblox and minecraft correctly that they'd be able to type correctly you know what i mean wow. was, like if you could press wasd or like qwer you know and it was like <laughs> i guess i just forgot the rest of the keyboard existed honestly you know those those people <laughs> I, those little kids hyper focus on those things and you know they can be some pro minecraft player but they're not gonna be able to use the they're not going to be able to reach a semicolon key or something yeah they can't even type their name properly mm-hmm. well i was like how are some of the flame your opponents if you came and type fast enough <laughs> <laughs> that's so true yeah you can't you can't type out the roasts quickly enough you can't be a keyboard I warrior know. Mm-hmm. i know God. yeah cool yeah so um really interesting stuff i mean i've also tried to look for some jobs and internships to, to fill my time this summer because you know i don't want to spend the summer before college just slacking off and then getting slapped in the face in college with double the assignments and whatever so trying to stay a little bit busy you know not not so much but you know still trying to see if i can do anything get a get a job you know get some nice spending money that's always nice yeah, I'm already yeah. working a job, so I don't mm-hmm. have to worry about that. Yeah, my man's got the work experience going on the resume. Yep. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I tried to get a driver's license today, but I only got the registration part done. So. Oh, okay. It's well, crazy how pay for that too. Like, I don't like how the fact I have to pay for it. Oh, oh, the, that's a small cost. I'm trying to trying to get my passport tomorrow. I'm trying to renew my passport, and it costs like two hundred oh. something dollars. Yeah. Yeah, it's so. Wow. I mean, government is a scam, bro. <laughs> this is our government, anyways. I mean, my money better be going to a good cause because I'm paying two hundred twenty-five dollars <laughs> for a little blue book. So. What do you mean, man? It's going straight to Ukraine. Uh, yeah. <laughs> cool. Anyway, so yeah, some some interesting stuff. Um, but this chapter uh, is only building upon the interesting. So, uh, Nolan, why don't you <laughs> take it away with the epigraph? Okay, so today's epigraph reads, And it came to pass in the third year of the desert war that Paul Muad'Dib lay alone in the cave of birds beneath the kiswa hangings of an inner cell. And he lay as one dead, caught up in the revelation of the water of life, his being translated beyond the boundaries of time by the poison that gives life. Thus was the prophecy made true that the Lisa al might be both dead and alive. Collected legends of Arrakis by the Princess Irulan. So something that I just really 
notice about this epigraph, especially after finishing the chapter this week, was that unlike many others, this chapter interacts directly with the epigraph. It happens like it directly interacts with the happenings of this entire chapter. And right off the bat, we really glimpse from the epigraph that it's been, I guess, like three years ever since the Desert Wars began. I'm guessing the Desert Wars refers to the Fremen seriously fighting in earnest against the Harkonnens led by Paul Muad'Dib, right? And from last chapter, like we could tell that we left off that Paul was really considering undertaking the water of life test, which is passed by all the reverends, mothers among the Fremen. Weirdly enough, though, the epigraph kind of hints that Paul lay as one dead, caught up in the revelation of the water of life. So from that phrase, whatever it means, we can only guess that something's going to happen to Paul that's not too, I guess, favorable in a way. He's going to like almost be dead. But then from how the epigraph ends, he isn't exactly dead because he's supposed mm-hmm. to be both dead and alive. So I don't know, guys, something's going to happen and like we'll see it. We'll see it because it happens this chapter so stay yeah, tuned and I mean, let's hear it play out yeah a lot of juxtapositions you know later we'll get the man and woman juxtaposition but also this uh-huh. dead and alive and you know a lot of different ones so yeah so really interesting stuff cool um thank you for that epigraph and uh before we dive into the bulk of the chapter let's do the quote section so as usual a fillmore you have the first quote okay as for my quote this week i chose you were not born to the spice as we were, Chani said. Have you investigated the possibility that his body has rebelled against too much spice in his diet? Wow. Ooh, very nice. Yeah, Shawnee really sciencing out here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> She's like drawing conclusions. Mm-hmm. Yep. My quote is pretty short. It goes, grief is the price of victory. Yeah, so true. I'm a little bit of an adage for y'all. Uh-huh. So my quote of the week is actually medium length. Time can be made to serve the mind. One concentrated the entire attention. Ooh, yeah, very philosophical indeed. Let's see what you have to say about that one later, Nolan. I'm excited. Yep. Cool. All right. Let's Great quotes. It. Yeah, let's get into it. So uh, Nolan, why don't you take it away with the bulk of the chapter? Yeah, I know. This is my first time in a long time starting off the chapter, by the way. (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. I feel like it was um, more recent, but... mm. Really? Okay. Well, y'all can can text us in the email or whatever and contact us with that. Uh But yeah, so starting off the chapter, Chani was flown in or an adopter. So she was hurried in, you know? She was rushed here, I'm presuming, because of some type of emergency. After all, she's using up like precious fuel and really exposing the fact that the Fremen know how to fly. And that's really not something that, you know, Paul or any of the other Fremen really want to let go of yet because it's like a big secret to them. And anyways, we see that it's some type of like massive emergency because she's summoned by who she refers to as he, meaning that I would assume that he to be Paul. So I'm guessing Paul kind of summoned her north to find him before he goes off to his little battles and raids up there. Mm-hmm. I mean, they gave up being anonymous a couple chapters ago when Paul exposed himself to the starter car. So I guess this isn't that big of a deal in comparison. But even so, oh, like, that's fair. Yeah, I guess it's not that I mean, smart we see to that. expose their air capabilities. Uh huh. They're like hiding a lot, and he just like try not to get found. Ornithopters, I presume, are loud because I see them as kind of like helicopters almost, which is probably wrong, but. And I mean, in order to move the quantity of air in order to carry that, you have to have like really strong propellers or motors or something. 
Yeah. So it's, you know, just like the, due to the physics of just moving the, the quantities of air to, 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 to lift, you know, generating that lift you need to, it's, it's bound to be loud. So definitely Paul doesn't want to give that away. I'm surprised they didn't find that out. You know, the, the others looking for Paul didn't find, you know, with this loud helicopter thing. Um, us trying to science out here after Johnny. <laughs> yeah, we're not quite as good at it, but. Uh, so we also get the impression from the narration of Chani's actions in this chapter that she's kind of like really deep in thought because obviously something is wrong, you know, so that's that's why she's being rushed to the north. And she's currently just kind of breezing through her motions as she's like climbing up, you know, the rocks to the to the um, opening. And she's like, like heavily concerned all the possibilities of what could be wrong. Um, she's trying to do anything to keep her fears at bay, almost to the point where like, where she's like, I don't know. She's just like, she's thinking so much about Muad'Dib and what Paul is to her. And she knows that Muad'Dib is known across all the sieges as like this fearsome warrior that's going to unite the land, like some type of like mass leader to all the Fremen. However, to her, Muad'Dib, like Paul is so much more than just Muad'Dib, right? He is also Uso, her lover, someone she knows intimately, who, just, who she just actually describes as tender. So like the description of Paul by Chani almost kind of reminds me of Lido in the beginning of the book was described and characterized because at certain times Lido was like known to have hawk like features and like that's, that's like obviously very like not nice and like very like sharp features right so he's like kind of scary at times but yeah. also a lot of the other times he's characterized as a loving caring father who loves Jessica who loves his son Paul so it was just like kind of some parallels here mm -hmm. yeah I mean Two sides of the same coin, really, in terms of Paul, because he's kind of a hardened warrior, right, on the outside, um, showing uh -huh. that leading the fate again and all the Fremen, but also he's, you know, a loving partner and a loving son also to Jessica, so kind of two two separate sides, but they're both Paul. Yeah, I mean, although Paul and Leto are, are very similar, I think they're, well, their fates are way different from each other, and hopefully yeah. Paul won't let his kindness be his downfall, and instead he'll go down another path. And hopefully not the path of the jihad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely don't think Paul has to be worried about like his niceness being his downfall. Because as we saw from his interactions with Gurney, even when he's interacting with the old friend, he's still willing to take the precautions just to make sure. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, and another thing that we get from just like just like the early conversations between between um Chani when she so when Chani lands from the owner adoption, she's like rushed into this little cave area this room inside the rocks and she meets jessica right and then she's going through the normal formality she's like oh so how's the war going so like why was like like she couldn't ask the most important question of like why was she brought up here north so quickly so as she goes through the motions asking jessica questions like nice questions about how how the battle's been going we get the impression that overall the war's going really well against the harkonnens like we see the harkonnens are growing desperate they're like sending out these like uh, these like search parties that are going further and further in the desert unsuccessfully and then the Fremen continue to remain hidden from their patrols despite them trying really hard to find this cave of birds right they're like so, uh, these Fremen are like safely launching raids against the Harkin and successfully forcing them onto this little corner they're trapping them basically yeah so 
is it just me or was there no clear really beginning to the Harkonnen War? Because I know they've been writing for a few chapters now, but why do I feel like they're still in hiding, right? It's just, oh. it was never, I don't know, it just was never really apparent to that, that they're strategizing big battles and whatever. It was always kind of contained within Paul and a few other slight characters. I guess that's why. And they've mm -hmm. never really been out in the field. Um, but, I mean, anyway, I think that, it, uh, since Raban, he's left to his own defenses and his own devices, he's bound to lose, right? Because the Fremen will have so many more men than him. And the Fremen are skilled fighters and can do guerrilla warfare, which is just whittled down at Raban. But Raban can't really trade the trade them off, you know, trade losses. He just has to keep tanking them and tanking them until he can't he can't, you know, do that anymore. Just than, it anymore. Yeah, and then he has to he has to uh, surrender or truce. Right. Yeah, it's not very clear when they started fighting the Harkonnens. Um, from what I can remember, they've always been fighting them even before Paul joined the Fremen. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not really sure if information from the movie is canon, but I think there was a line in there saying that they've been fighting the Harkonnens since they showed up on Arrakis. Mm -hmm. Although, I'm assuming that their raids became more frequent after Paul joined them. Yeah, my guess would be that like after Paul joined them, their raids became much more frequent, but also on a much larger scale, especially since Paul came and gave them like his weirdy way training, right? So like he gave and basically empowered them with the strategies that Gurney was talking about. So he saw that like now the Fremen weren't just training life for life, but there was like some like more like in-depth like thought process and strategy behind their plays. So I mm -hmm. think like after Paul joined them, it was like a noticeable shift in how aggressive the Fremen became. And that's probably what they dubbed us the desert war you know? yeah there's like an actual brain behind all the operations yeah oh so something that i wanted to point out was as soon as chani enters the room that jessica's in jessica's first like internal thought is what do i tell chani right and like that's just like a really worrying thought because like i don't know it's kind of anxious from jessica's point but the thing is like keep in mind that this is only an internal thought on jessica's end so as we move throughout this entire like discussion for this chapter Please keep in mind that the interplay of conversation between Jessica and Chani, that this internal monologue is within the mind and that it frames Jessica's perspective and whatever Jessica says is exactly what she truly believes. Yeah, there's something really bad brewing with how Jessica frames this statement here. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. As soon as I saw that, which I knew trouble was brewing. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, Sorry, I had to make that joke. Man, man, I don't know if I'll forgive you for that one. That was really rough. Yeah, I don't know. All right, if you I'll if you Jessica haven't, handle it. all right, just just tune out Fillmore and I uh, keep on going. Everybody just clicked off the podcast. Right <laughs> I know, <now. laughs> I know, man. Well, to get you back on the podcast, Jessica is actually called something really, I guess, sweet by Chani. Chani calls Jessica my mother. So I think it's like Jessica's like, yes, she has the right to call me that. I guess <laughs> like it's kind of weird it's like i read that i was like oh okay jessica because i thought she was kind of like over this like i know especially after last chapter we, we had a discussion that like jessica was like paul choose your own happiness so i really thought like jessica was like moved on like she accepted chani as her like her not exactly her daughter-in-law but like enough to know that like she's rightfully paul's partner so i guess the only misconception here is just that like I don't know. Do mistresses call their partners mother's mother-in-law? Because I know they're not legally bound by marriage yet. Yeah, true. I don't know whether it's totally proper in this case, since Paul and Shawnee aren't married yet. Um, so to answer your question, I don't really know about that. But if they were married, um, and in this case, they're 
pretty close to marriage. I mean, even though they're not legally bound, they have a child and everything, right? So I know at least in in my Chinese culture, it's not uncommon to call parents-in-law mother or father. And it's also even common to call cousins brothers or sisters. So there's less familial propriety or or designation. There's less separation of, you know, we say cousins and we say, you know, mother-in-law, father-in-law, grandfather on the on the you know father's side and all of that but there's not as much yeah you know so in some cultures it's probably not as strict yeah yeah same here in korean culture we don't really call them or like our cousins we don't call them our cousin we just call refer to them as like our brothers mm-hmm. and then like e- even if you're not married like even if you have a girlfriend or something you call refer to their father as just father you don't refer to them to like um refer them to as father-in-law you just call them father yeah yeah so, I mean, I guess it's similar to how you refer to your friends as bros instead of my friends. Uh-huh. That's and, true. Mm-hmm. And either way, I think Chani calling her mother might have to do with Jessica's reverend mother title. But looking at the context, I think it's more of a family type of mother. Yeah, it's pretty familial. This is uh-huh. a pretty intimate. It's a one-on-one conversation. So there's no reason yeah. for her to for her to go for the, the religious title. Uh-huh. So the thing is, like, Chani, as she's having this very intimate talk with jessica on the surface she's obviously very calm very prim very proper calling jessica mother and she's like these questions jessica's like asking of her she's like maintaining pretty like composed you know but the thing is beneath the surface we see from the internal monologue that we readers are privy to that we get a sense of chani's urgency to find out why she was summoned and why paul isn't really there to greet her because he summoned her but jessica's not he you know or did he really summon her we don't know right i mean imagine being rushed out of your house or out of your job to go somewhere and then having to talk informalities hi how was your day you know and then wonderful yeah wonderful how about yours it's like get to it get to it get to the point you know and (laughs) i mean i want to know the news right i don't want to sit here and just exchange greetings like two people on a normal day because it's clearly not a normal day right and I mean, I can feel for Shawnee. She must be stressing, um, but she still has to talk about the war and cloth and Aaliyah when all she really wants to hear about and all we really want to hear about is Paul. Yeah, That's just so get true. on with it. Uh-huh. Honestly, I would be pretty annoyed if they called me out in an urgent manner and started taking their time. I mean, uh-huh. I would probably say cut to the chase already. Isn't that why you called me here? So, mm-hmm. yeah, I definitely get where Shawnee's coming from in her discomfort in talking with Jessica. Like, Paul That's is literally... Great. Yeah, with like even without our knowledge of Paul dying, I mean, she knows that something's wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, another thing that doesn't look good for the Fremen is that they've been killing diplomats. Yeah. So, man, that's not a good look on their part. I mean, returning the those diplomats back to Raba without their water. Uh, I mean, <laughs> that's kind of a pretty cool way to say they killed them i must say but i mean <laughs> yeah so anyway so robin really does seem desperate uh especially considering he's never stooped to the fremen we know him as a character he's always been super you know bombastic and he's just you know this crazy person always oh the fremen are just ants we crush under our feet kind of guy right and now yeah. he's sending diplomats to truce and everything man that's just you know look at how low he's fallen when the when the barons cut cut him off mm-hmm. i mean the stuff that happened to the diplomats it reminds me of what isis did a couple years back Oh yeah, Ooh, let's just say yeah. the story doesn't have a happy ending. Yeah, those terrorist organizations, yeah. man. I mean, and I mean, I wouldn't call the Fremen a terrorist organization yet, but I'm sure Robin would. Yeah, sure. Yeah, different yeah. parties disagree. You uh-huh. know? 
So also, is there some beef between Jessica and Shawnee? Um, and I mean, Jessica seems to now approve of Shawnee. I don't know if she ever communicated that, but I mean, Shawnee clearly doesn't yeah. seem to reciprocate with this really backhanded uh, remark, which uh, she says, one cannot see emotion in that glazed stone she calls a face. So of course, ouch. she referring to Jessica. So I mean, yeah, this is really, ouch. Yeah, that's that's not such a good look for Johnny. She's not, you know, she's, she's definitely throwing out the shade. <laughs> well, I think it's the revelation that Jessica had in the last chapter that's causing her to act awkwardly in front of Chani because well she doesn't really know how she should feel towards her anymore and on the same side or on the other side I should say Chani doesn't know how to act towards Jessica either especially when she's acting all strange like this yeah I agree I think partly it's just because of the fact that Jessica for the longest time did not approve of Chani because she was just like my paw deserves better you know and now so Chani probably grew some type of like negative feelings toward jessica during the time period and now jessica's like trying to go back on her on her words i guess but chani probably just doesn't know that and chani just like why do i have to talk to her and like it's just like a lot of impatience coming through and a lot of just like influencing her current behavior towards jessica mm -hmm. yeah. so jessica does mention an interesting thing however in their conversation she mentioned that the oasis in the south were beautiful and blossoming so the thing is, like, I'm kind of happy to see that in the years that Paul's been the leader, there's been some progress, like some significant progress made on Liet Kynes' plans of terraforming the planet. Yet, Chani also replies after she mentioned that how beautiful it was, like, there is much grief in it. And it's just like, I don't know, like, what type of grief is Chani referring to? Like, what is she speaking about? Is it the separation of the women and children from the males because the males are in the north and the children and women are in the south? Or is she speaking of, like, the great price of death that the Fremen have paid to maintain and defend this, like, their dream, you know? Mm -hmm. I think it's more likely the latter because they're paying a heavy price in people to maintain these things. Sometimes they may even have to withhold water from those in need so as to not draw from those water storages, right? That's yeah. didn't uh, they mentioned that no Fremen would ever touch this water or something like that. They did, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, however, if if any group of people are willing to sacrifice for the cause, it's the Fremen. You know, they they are they. I, I wouldn't call them selfless, but they're also very kind of tribe minded. I would say. Yeah. Yeah, and also I'm assuming they're bribing the spacing guild to bring in some extra water in as well, and it's certainly not an easy task. Yeah, I mean, the Spacing Guild is really not an easy organization to bribe given that they have so many, you know, different interests lying everywhere. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so I love this quote, um, which is actually my quote for the week, which goes, Grief is the price of victory. So not all victory needs grief, um, contrary to what the quote says. Uh, that's just my opinion. But a lot of history's greatest victories have come through extreme sacrifice. You know, some World War II examples. Well, I mean, I don't know why I can only come up with World War II examples, but the the Battle of Stalingrad, the atomic bomb droppings, right? Things like that. Uh, those were horrific, uh, lots of loss. Um, and the victorious side, um, I mean, still still would have lost a lot right and i mean even in our lives the it's just hard to gain without making sacrifices maybe not so worthy of a strong word like grief always you know my sacrifices i what give up eating something to you know get more fit or something like that i mean that that's not worth grief but i mean sometimes it's just really 
difficult to keep an end goal in mind as you slave away at something. And uh, this quote just reminds us that whether we're within or without the Dune universe, victory comes with some expense. You're not going to get something, you know, you didn't pay for. Mm -hmm. Unless you're listening to this podcast, which is absolutely free and uh -huh. is absolutely a victory. <laughs> yeah, indeed. But that's the only exception. Because, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. like, the truth is, for a lot of people, it's really hard for them to feel like they've really won until the fact is like until they felt what real loss is. Actually, this was like a TOK or theory of knowledge question that we have. It was like, can you actually feel happy if you don't know what sadness is? It's kind of like that, you know, like you don't feel mm -hmm. like very victorious until there's like been a price paid for that victory. Otherwise, you just take it for yeah, granted. Yeah, there, there's no, there are no highs without lows, and there's no lows without highs. Mm -hmm. You sound like my economics class. <laughs> yeah, talking about the stock market, you know, it, yeah. it only goes up until it doesn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a bubble and it pops. Mm -hmm. So Jessica thinks of Chani positively after this. So like Chani is like responding really well. She's responding with like these really deep quotes, honestly. And Chani is characterized by Jessica as brave, and she's. Host to the niceties, even when fear is almost overwhelming her. So in a way, like Jessica's having a lot of these thoughts, and she's really just like testing Chani, I guess, in a way. Like this almost reminds me of formerly in the beginning of the book, kind of like the Jom the Gom Jabbar test that the Bennett Jesseref passed, because they're like also at the same time, like when they stick their hand into the box, they're overcoming their own fears and the thought of pain to really like remain composed and put together as well. So mm -hmm. The one thing that I'm a little confused on, though, is just, like, when Jessica mentions that, like, she may be the one that we need now, like, why does she need Chani specifically now? And, like, for what purpose? Like, what is she testing Chani for, I guess? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, it does bear a lot of resemblance to the Gamjabar, but it's kind of interesting to see how Shani's just endearing herself to Jessica, right? I mean, it's like a Ben and Jessica thing, almost. Mm -hmm. Really, yeah. I mean, she's trying to suck up to Jessica to get her approval, and uh -huh. her attempts at it are quite praiseworthy, I would say. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I also found Jessica's word choice of revive really interesting. So, generally, when mm -hmm. I think revive, I thought like you know, the person <laughs> is dead and yeah, it needs to be brought back to life, but like literally dead not just you know kind of unconscious or something but i also forget that revive can also mean resuscitate like you said right <laughs> and uh interesting that jessica picks the word revive and expects johnny to understand the connotation because if i heard the word revive i would have freaked out so i mean but i guess i'm not them so i can't really say yeah i mean most kids nowadays correlate the word revive with a reboot card so you're not really <laughs> alone when you think that revive means to bring someone who's dead back to life <laughs> yeah maybe i've just played too much fortnite but <laughs> you know, you never know. Yeah, I mean, yep. the connotations are weird, man. Uh, just, just a time. Yeah, so just you know, state your intentions clearly, please. Mm -hmm. The thing is, like Jessica herself, though, is thoroughly impressed by Chani's own control over her own facilities, because like she thinks that like how Chani's really handling the entire situation. You know, like even though Jessica's obviously trying to help out a little by choosing her words carefully but ambiguously for some reason makes Jessica really think she's have made a fine Bene Gesserit. And the thing is, like, I wonder what exactly stops Chani from undergoing Bene Gesserit training, though, because I remember, like, 
if other royal houses, princesses can you know become Bene Gesserit or are Bene Gesserit because they, they undergo the training of the Bene Gesserit, then what stops just I mean what stops Jessica from like teaching Chani right? Because after all, Chani's like made it through Sayadina training, so she could probably handle you know the last couple of steps to become a Bene Gesserit, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, is it just something that you have to like do from birth? Right. I mean, I can't. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, we don't really know how the benedictors are trained. I mean, we we only know so few benedictors. That's the problem. So we don't have a large data set to, to to deal with, I guess. But Draw I mean, me well, yeah. I, I think just kind of looking at the benedictors' skills from a from this viewpoint, um, I think it's easier for children to learn, right? Since it takes a lot of mental gymnastics and rewiring of neural pathways, and also a lot of like fine control that. That it's it's just easier to drill into children than it is to drill into adults, and I mean, I mean, Shani can probably still pick up a lot of the skills. So she seems mm-hmm. to have skill in the self control department, which is quite necessary for an advantage gesture. So maybe she can go halfway, but some you know super nuanced things like the voice or something, it just might be too tricky to train into, especially when you have your own like pre prejudgments and all of that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I also agree. I think she's just too old to become a true benedictor. But mm-hmm. I, I mean, that's not stopping her from becoming stronger by learning some of the techniques. Yeah, maybe not true. like the super strong ones, like the voice, but she can control her emotions during like a battle or something, which is very important. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, Jack, hear that? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Oh, I yeah. can. I can. We can cut that, Chum. Yeah, so just another thing that I was perplexed about from Jessica is just that when Jessica called Chani here on a whim like what she describes as like jessica called chani here because of what she described as an instinct a basic intuition so i feel like obviously jessica made the right call in the end but to to think that like jessica was like beginning to acknowledge chani's importance in paul's life just like kind of mind-blowing honestly because she called her here even though she thinks chani probably couldn't help paul out of this pickle and that she like does like there's just, like then like the other options that she believed that Chani was deserving to formally hear that her partner was probably in a perilous situation that she's he's close to death from the person who found him in that state, which is Jessica herself. So I think like Jessica's starting to grow more considerate towards Chani as she's seeing more of herself in Chani. I feel like almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean the Ben and Jester have a certain degree of foresight, so this intuition might just be a f- some form of foresight manifesting itself. It might not be, you know, just just some gut instinct. It's actually some something supernatural. But I'm glad that Jessica actually decided in the end to call Shani because there's always been a little bit of disdain that Jessica has had for Shani, no matter what Jessica says. You know, we can't really trust oh. that that disdain is totally gone. So this decision to you know stoop to Shani, even though Jessica's already tried everything, just goes to show that. Uh, she's become more accustomed to Shani and more willing to give her uh, a say in things. Right. And there's something I wanted to ask is, um, wasn't Reverend Mother Gaius Helen Mohiam able to look a little into the future? I believe, or, yeah. Yeah, I th- or at least so I think she was able to divine it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, like, do you, like do you think that Jessica... Like, yeah. yeah, do you think Jessica will ever get this ability as well? Um, She probably already possesses to some degree this ability, I feel like. Especially uh, with the spice consumption, right? Yeah, I mean, we well, I, I haven't. I don't think we've really linked spice consumption to 
to foresight yeah i think yeah um but i mean it's it's very possible that spice consumption does help with like visions and stuff because it is kind of like a hallucinogenic right right yeah yeah so it's possible i mean we don't know what those visions are but you know yeah so we get what the real issue is here so paul has been quote-unquote poisoned um aka basically he's in a coma he's like a trance-like state uh and which is kind of like it reminds you of hibernation right um you're not supposed to use a lot of energy but in this case paul uses so little energy he can't he doesn't have to eat for three weeks um so I mean, Jessica believes it's poison because there's no other explanation given she's tried everything she could. Yeah, and now we know the real reason why he's almost dead. And you know how in the last episode, Nolan asked if the plan was run past Jessica before Paul attempted it? I'm guessing not. Yeah, yeah well, now you get your answer. Mm, indeed. Yeah, <laughs> definitely not run past Jessica. Jessica has no <laughs> Just, idea what's going on. Man, she got left in the no dark Jessica for real. Yeah. <laughs> Another thing that's like interesting, interestingly enough, when Chani sees Paul in his barren state, she also feels a bit of connection back to Jessica. So I know we've been like this entire like episode have been like like hitting Chani and Jessica's relationship, but I think it's like I think for a second she found her mind jumping to Lido second, and that's when she was able to really understand like the maternal instinct that Jessica must have felt as well back when she found Lido's like dying with like betrayed right by everyone so like she really understood what jessica was thinking when she chose to prioritize paul and the future of the tradies and now chani herself when looking at paul almost dead is like focusing on prioritizing the future of the tradies by preserving Lido the second right now that mm -hmm. paul may no longer be in his life anymore i think this is what like people call maternal instinct right but like in this feeling chani realizes that she and jessica share a lot more in common there she initially thought, especially now that Jessica once too had the same thought. And like, it's just crazy, you know, like Chani's now to like be the comforter to Jessica almost because like this entire time we thought like Jessica was kind of like harassing Chani, right? But now Chani is able to take up the mantle and give back a bit of the niceties that she's feeling now by reaching out and clasping Jessica's hand in her own, providing Jessica some of the, some strength despite Jessica being the bearer of bad news. Mm -hmm. yeah so i really like to see the connection growing between these two i mean we can't really have them at odds with each other if we're to continue pushing for the same end goal right if they're going for the same thing they have to ally before there's some internal strife that breaks it apart and shawnee's maybe about to lose her partner too right we don't know yet um even though we do know so it's almost like what brought paul and shawnee together loss of a loved one mm -hmm. i mean imagine being in a situation where you lost your father and now you're about to lose your lover as well. I mean, at this rate, the only person with a father will be Jessica. And that's a father that I'd rather not have. Mm -hmm. Indeed, yeah. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I mean, yeah, definitely would not like that father. That's uh, that that guy left for milk before Jessica was born. <laughs> yep. I think that's one DNA test that we should never run. Oh, uh, you guys just I mean, ne never, never, never run that paternal test. I mean, just, he's so fat, he might produce his own milk. Oh no, yeah. Oh damn. He's just like a cow. Yeah. <laughs> a cow baron. <laughs> just, a, just some some cow with a with oh. a baron's face, you know, man, that would be a scary, one scary cow for real. Oh, that would uh -huh. be very scary. <laughs> I, yeah, I would not I uh, yeah. break down. <laughs> Send us straight to the butcher. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh -huh. 
Jessica, like now though, like back back to Jessica, not not back to her father, but Jessica now oh, reveals yeah. that she's kind of like using her Benedictine training to contain the situation, you know, like to minimize the danger done by Paul going unconscious. So, you know, unlike her father, she has more more favorable qualities to everyone around her, and. This kind of reminded me of how the missionary protectiva kind of instilled a religious aspect into Fremen culture to really protect the future, I guess, Ben and Jessica coming in. And now Jessica once again taps into this dangerous religious side and uses it to hold the faded kid on a leash, really, by convincing them that their leader, Paul, is just, just in a sacred trance and will come out once he's ready or something yeah so, so just like interesting paul's just, yeah, i can just imagine him charging up he's building a superpower he's slowly, he's slowly getting that glow you know from supernova uh -huh. energy or something and he's gonna unleash a nuclear explosion on these harkonnen fools so those guys have no idea what's coming um yeah that's that's my new anime plot guys so anyway so jokes aside i feel that i feel that religion throughout this book has always been kind of like a fallback um like if everything else goes wrong and people are rebelling just use the name of religion just quote religion um no one nobody will question it and especially with the fremen they're so religious they they seem to believe everything that comes out of paul and jessica's mouth and i wonder how much time paul and jessica can buy from themselves in the name of religion or how much they can use <laughs> yeah. religion before the fremen catch on and be like yeah this seems a little bit suspicious you know uh, he's 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 called himself the least in all gay of seven times a day you know that's uh that's a little too much um but i mean it again it just demonstrates how much control that religion can exert over people if they believe you know it's just kind of like a real world thing too mm -hmm. well i mean to be fair what jessica said isn't really that far off the mark i mean if paul is able to overcome this trial he'll become immune to poisons which is technically gathering a holy power so in a I way, guess, Jessica is yeah. right when she told the Fadekin that he was in a sacred chance, trance to enhance his powers. <laughs> yeah, you never mentioned the fact they could never awoken from that sacred trance. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. <laughs> now we get to my quote of the week, which is time could be made to serve the mind, one concentrated the entire attention. So this quote really just stood out to me because I guess I'm influenced this. I'm influenced by, like, wait for it, my favorite former video game, League of Legends, you know? Oh, so, wow. oh. <laughs> man, I didn't know we were contaminating the podcast today. Ooh. Oh, my. Oh, my. This is for this is a, into our podcast. Yeah, this is a pure place, Nolan. You bring cursed things in. Anyways, go ahead. <laughs> we need to cure you with some grass. <laughs> for real. <laughs> Never seen a, but, a League of Legends player touch grass in my life. Yeah. I don't think so it's true. possible. Uh -huh. <laughs> but okay, back to my um, League of Legends spiel. Uh, I want to talk about the League of Legends character Echo. Um, so Echo, for those who don't know, is able to manipulate time in the League of Legends universe, but only by like a couple of seconds max, you know. So he has this quote, which I really like. He's like, here's the thing about time. If you can't make the most out of any given moment, then you don't deserve a single extra second. So it's just like really powerful to me because last year, my New Year's resolution was to live more in the moment to be able to be present you know i know it's kind of like cheesy but i want to be here you know feel grounded almost mm -hmm. and i just really wanted to like 
appreciate the stuff going on. And I feel like doing that has really enhanced how I've experienced things and how like it's made me better as a friend and as a person. Hopefully, I think. I mean, I hope y'all agree. Uh, I I would agree. Yeah. I definitely agree with that. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Yeah, Nolan's always becoming uh-huh. a better friend. That's for sure. Except for the League of Legends part. Uh, yeah, just okay. drop just <laughs> drop that and you're golden. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so but back to the quote basically. It's just like I think that this quote is just really like that where it's just like if you can't spend the time that you have, but when like time is like just a construct of the mind, you know, like it's a human concept that was added. And if you've got like you've got to like learn how to like employ every single moment of it. You can't waste a single moment because once you do, once you don't use your entire attention, right? Like you're just like missing out. There's like, so much potential to be had. And that's why, like, when I live, I try to give it my all, my full attention, and, like, use it all the time allocated to me to try to derive the most of any situation or experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I really like that mentality. Um, too often nowadays, I find myself preoccupied over mistakes or unfortunate events in the past, especially in the past. You know, it's just hard to get over some stuff. Mm-hmm. And and also, you know, on the other hand, most of the time, I'm too worried about what the future holds, always That's constantly so planning and worrying about tomorrow and worrying about a week later and months and years, right? And But being able to put those aside and just focusing on what's at hand, the task at hand, I think is just such an important skill. Um, it's important not only to at, like live your life better kind of in a mental health way, but it's also just... I think better for your productivity or in your end goal. If you're just able, you don't, you're not distracted by what's in the future. You know, you can just focus and you have, you're more productive that way. And, and, you know, going back to the quote, and as you said, time is basically a perception. So it's up to you to allocate it or spend it. And you can spend it worrying about other times, um, the past and the, the future, but, um, you could also spend it on concentrating your entire, uh, attention on an instant, which may even uh, produce a better result. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that mindset is usually what I adopt when I'm preparing for a big event such as AP test. Because so well, if you can't focus on yourself in the present, then when the time comes where you really need to focus, you won't be able to do it then either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know if y'all know about like over planning or something. It's that, that thing where you instead of you spend so much time planning that you don't have time for anything else. Kind of, or you just kind of OCD plan. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I found myself doing that, you know, back way back when kind of just, you know, my, my, if you'll, if you'll take a look at my calendar or something, it's just so many colors. Cause I've kind of color coded everything back in the day. I would, you know, schedule my days out, you know, literally the minute to minute. And that's just, oh, wow. and that was, you know, it, I don't do that anymore because I found that just, it just really wasn't conducive to my, to my daily routine. And also it just, it just, you know, every time I, I, I ran off schedule, I would hate myself for it because it was just you yeah. know, really frustrating. So that's just not not good, right? But um, it's, it's better to just kind of go with the flow and just see what happens. But also, you know, not that you can just slack off or anything, but just over planning like that is just not not really a great a great thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that doesn't sound very good for your mental health. Uh-huh. It, it, it really isn't, um, speaking from experience. so Yeah, I'm glad you got off of it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. I'm glad I did too. Yeah, I'm sort of the opposite. I kind of underplan things mm-hmm. and then just like not think about it, which is kind of bad. Yeah, we just got to be in the middle, you know. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, now we get to my quote for this week, which is, you were not born to the spice as we were, Bonnie said. Have you investigate, investigated the possibility that his body has rebelled against too much spice in his diet? So I thought this part was interesting because I never really thought that a person could be allergic to spice. 
Because I, I honestly thought it was like a wonder drug that everybody could take without any side effects mm-hmm. well, as long as they continue to consume it, right? Right. And I wonder if there's a story behind how they got this information. Because, <laughs> I mean, there must have been someone who died from spice allergies or something, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I would definitely hate to die from spice poisoning. That just sounds painful. Yeah. Just, it's just, so sad. just imagine that you're taking it to prolong your life, but instead you just die yeah. instantly. <laughs> I wonder if they have an epi pen for spice or something like that. (laughs) That would be. It'd be so expensive to test for. Like I don't Mm -hmm. know, like testing for that would be so expensive just because of how much spice costs. Yeah, yeah. Imagine like slowly reducing your allergic reaction to spice. You know how you have to build up a tolerance, but then you have to use spice. So that's the most expensive treatment there is. (laughs) To treat against (laughs) spice, you need a small loan of a billion dollars for that. A billion solaris, yeah yeah i guess you're just not living long there <laughs> yeah just don't don't take it you know mm-hmm. <laughs> oh and this is really weird thing that jessica kind of hints at because she's hinting at this hmm, like really weird ritual performed right before a raid requiring a maker right a little maker more, more precisely so when reading this i kind of presumed that they would drown the maker and then all the warriors would partake in the spice visions that one felt by consuming the products of the maker kind of like earlier when like when they all kind of got like what like spice prescience or something like that when jessica passed on the water like the converted water of life right yeah i mean like i know it sounds a little crazy but i'm sure the fremen are like they're definitely not the first culture to indulge in substance abuse before battle so i don't know a little something that i'm more surprised about is that paul himself doesn't actually choose to participate in these ceremonies he's text he takes a step back and it's a little strange because i kind of believed him to be fully adopted into like fremen culture so i wonder what the fremen think of him not partaking like is there some religious thing that he's hiding behind or is just like i don't need to feel high i don't know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i mean maybe the spice induced visions are too much for him to bear i mean maybe it's too maybe. resemblant of the jihad or the religious fervor that he wants to avoid all these congregations it triggers a lot yeah. yeah it just triggers his his bad instincts right but either way um the worms continue to show that they're not just desert creatures they're a key aspect of from a religion too so they're not just these mindless birds yeah at this rate i might have to try eating a worm as well Although it definitely wouldn't be an every everyday thing, I hope. Oh yeah, well for sure. Um, good protein, if you know what I mean. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's pure protein, actually. Mm, yeah. With some dirt mixed in it. Oh, that's the bad part. Yep. Well, I guess it adds I've flavor. Eat it once before. Yeah, you'll get some. Oh really? Or Man, that's. Yeah, there's I... like an herbal medicine for like there's an herbal medicine where like they you it's like you get inchworms or something. It's really nasty. Wait, what? I've never oh, heard of this. My first uh, time hearing. I'll send this. it. I'll send it to you after the stream. But yeah, it's uh, definitely not man. it. Man, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that, that I, I don't know what to say about that one. <laughs> I'll, I'll need to see it for myself. Yeah, yep. but uh, anyway, so on that note, and uh, also one more thing, um, we ending on a cliffhanger. So we're ending with worms and a cliffhanger uh, with the water of life that Jessica brought. Paul is now stirring. So I don't know if you heard uh, Nolan mention eating worms and now he's disgusted and needs to throw up. Um, <laughs> maybe that's what happened. Or maybe he smelled uh, the water of life and he's... Uh, you know, getting getting roused again. So what will happen next? Uh, yep. You'll have to find out next episode. 
And on that note, I believe that concludes the discussion for this episode of the Do Not Enter podcast. Make sure to read to the end of chapter 45 and Dune in next time when we discuss it. As always, thanks to all of you listeners for being patient with us and being interested in our thoughts. Follow us on Instagram at Do Not Enter, Reddit, you slash Do Not Enter, Twitter at Do Not Enter, and email us at Do Not Enter at gmail.com. That is D U N E n-o-t-e-n-t-e-r at gmail.com please contact us with questions feedback or i dare say koreans (laughs) wait what (laughs) wow yeah so so or i dare say phil moore's right anyways yeah yeah, yeah. that's that's better yeah (laughs) anyways so um give us a review on itunes spotify it only takes a few seconds of your time um so of course you have to make an account and then go to our show and click the five star button because that's the only one that exists and also leave a nice review or two if you're so inclined and uh it does two things one helps us or uh, helps us climb up the charts so that we get out to a wider variety of listeners but also on a more personal note it lets us know that we're doing a good job and motivates us to keep creating content for you guys so uh do those things and it would be very much appreciated otherwise have a great week and we will see you all back very soon See you guys. Bye, guys.